Hey guys, and welcome to another episode of the Live It Well podcast. We are your hosts, Chris and Jenny Gravy. If you're new to the podcast, welcome. We are so glad that you're here with us. Each week, we invite authors, mentors, friends of ours who have an inspiring message, who are living their life well. And so our goal is to learn and grow, and we want to invite you to do the exact same thing with us. So hope you're ready. Let's dive right in. If you've ever struggled to forgive something you just can't seem to forget, this episode is for you. Today, we had the tremendous honor of welcoming back to the show New York Times bestselling author, speaker, and founder of Proverbs 31 Ministries, Lisa Turkhurst. What I love about this conversation is that Lisa shares very authentically about her own wrestle through this journey to forgiveness, which she unpacks in her latest book called Forgiving What You Can't Forget. Lisa is great because she offers us encouragement and advice on how to disempower the triggers that can hijack our emotions, help us make peace with painful memories, and create a life that's beautiful again. It's time for you to stop suffering because of what other people have done to you. And the only way to truly sever the suffering and start truly healing is through the power of forgiveness. As always, guys, we hope this conversation will bless you as much as it did us. Listen in. All right, Lisa. Well, we are honored, as always, to have you back to the show. Welcome. Thank you so much. So fun to be with you. Absolutely. Well, for those of you who are not familiar with Lisa, make sure you go back and listen to episode 44. We really got to dive into her story last time and, and kind of hear all that she's overcome in the last decade. Loved that conversation, and we're happy to have you back today. Um, so for listeners who are new, would you just give us kind of a brief overview of that journey that led you into this big season of facing a lot of forgiveness? Absolutely. So it was about... Um, Four and a half years ago that I um, made the very shocking discovery. My husband was being unfaithful. And I know that the enemy is on an all-out assault against families. But even knowing that and being in ministry for a long time, I felt like we had done that checklist of everything you're supposed to do to ensure and kind of protect your marriage from that. And I'm a big believer in all of those things, praying together, going to church together, um, you know, definitely going to the conferences and, and all of that. The piece that we were missing was doing ongoing counseling to keep fine tuning our relationship. We were not doing that. And I think we, we kind of felt protected enough and like, together enough that we were okay. But what I didn't recognize, and of course we have five kids that in the busyness of raising teenagers and so much activity as we got into the early adult years of our kids' lives, that my husband got involved in some addictions. And I had never grown up in a family with addictions, so I didn't know what to look for. And I, I think being a Christian wife, I just kept overriding these instincts that I was having and just saying, you know, no, you need to encourage him. No, you need to, you know, just like believe the best and all of this. And I think those are great things to encourage him and to believe the best. But when you start covering up for things that you're seeing and almost overriding the discernment 
that keeps firing in your brain, you know, a lot of crazy things can start to happen. And that's what I was doing. I just, and, and also I kept thinking, I didn't want him to hit rock bottom in some of his addictions because I knew that me and the kids would suffer the consequences of that too. And so it, it can be this weird thing to be a Christian wife in this situation where it's like, I just kept thinking if I pray enough, if I believe enough, if I encourage enough, if I navigate enough, then surely I can make things better. But one day I woke up and I just had this revelation, like I can be his wife, but I cannot be a savior. And so I, I knew I needed help. So I, I went to a Christian counselor and um, started to find out that there are some real emotional things that go on. I still very much believe in praying and I still very much believe in all of the Christian things that we're taught to do. But I am also a big believer in getting Christian counselors involved because there are some things that you've got to be aware of. So my husband was being unfaithful. I wish I could tell you that it was this straight line between discovery, repentance, and restoration and reconciliation. It was not. It was a very long, painful, hard journey full of ups and downs, full of more disclosures, more discoveries. Uh, just when I would think we were crossing the finish line, we were back at the starting gate. That happened five different times. So it was a brutal, brutal journey. Um, and and I'm, as Paul Harvey would say, here's the rest of the story. We, we did wind up reconciling. And for that, I'm so grateful. I am so, so grateful. I think it's kind of rare for a man to finally wake up or a wife even who is being unfaithful to finally wake up and truly surrender to the Lord and to do the hard, humble work of coming back together. And so I'm super grateful, but here's what I want everyone to, to hear me clearly say is that sometimes reconciliation is God's path. And sometimes God rescues people out of relationships but either way, no matter how your story turns out, redemption is always possible with God. And it's not dependent on anyone else's choices. And it's not dependent on your story turning out like you thought it would. Redemption is your choice that you can make with God. And your life can still be a redemption story, no matter how the relationship turns out. I love it. Well, first off, just thank you for your authenticity and for sharing your story. I, I know there's a lot of people that are listening here and that are kind of following your journey that I know God's used. And I'm sure you've heard the, the, the conversations in private and the emails you've gotten and, and the different stories of how people have found reconciliation in their life and their marriage. And so it's, uh, it's a true testament of what God's done in your life. And so uh, good job carrying that out there to the world and sharing with everybody. So Lord, we're talking today about forgiveness, right? You've, you've got this new project, but what, what do we do specifically? When it, you know, we want to forgive, but what happens when we can't forget? So, you know, I used to think that it was a biblical principle in order to forgive. It's like forgive and forget, right? But the Bible actually doesn't say that. The Bible does say that God can forgive us and cast our sins to the depths of the sea to be remembered no more. God can do that. But I've just found it's really hard for humans to do that. 
And so I'm grateful the Bible doesn't teach in order to forgive, we have to forget. It, it, it doesn't teach that at all. And I did over a thousand hours of theological study to really understand what is forgiveness. But I don't start the book out with this big banner, like you have to forgive. I don't, I don't start the book that way because I couldn't start this journey that way. Where I start the book is acknowledging painful memories and acknowledging someone's pain is really important. You know, the book opens up with this story of, um, I was on my phone and I got one of those things that sometimes your phone sends. I know Facebook does this and everything. It's like they collect all these pictures and like this happened four years ago today, you know, and those are wonderful, beautiful treasures until they're painful reminders of what no longer is. And when your phone sends you a reminder of a picture that happened four years ago and that person has either devastated you or walked away from you or hurt you in some way that that picture is so complicated isn't it and the memory can be so triggering like seeing that picture can be so triggering and that's what was happening to me and so i think where we start this journey is with our pain and i just really clearly want to say that if no one else in this world has dared to bear witness to your pain, I will. What happened to you was wrong. And I'm so sorry for any listener out there that like you feel this tightness in your chest and you feel your throat kind of this lump in your throat because you hear the word forgiveness and you attach it to the most painful thing that's ever happened to you or the most painful events that have ever happened to you. And so I just want to say, I'm so sorry for what happened. I'm so, so sorry. It was wrong and it shouldn't have happened. And so we need to start there. But I also want to say that it's time for you to stop suffering because of what other people have done to you. And the only way to truly sever the suffering and start truly healing is through the power of forgiveness and forgiveness. It feels at first like this cruel command by God that's put on the person that was hurt. But I'm here to tell you, the Lord has taught me forgiveness is one of the most beautiful gifts that I can actually give to myself because if I always wait for that other person that hurt me to say they're sorry, to make this right, to suffer the way that I suffered or to learn all the lessons that I feel like they should learn or to have that epic moment where they finally announce to the world, this is what I did and it was wrong. If I wait for that, then I am attaching my ability to heal to someone else's choices they may or may not ever be willing to make. So when I say sever the suffering, I mean, I've got to unhitch my ability to heal from that other person and be empowered to say, my healing is my responsibility. And forgiveness is a beautiful first step to take. 
That's so good. I, I wanna hit on something you talked about, those triggers that come, right? So what are some practical things that you do that you recommend doing when the memories of those hurtful things just keep on coming, even when you've made the choice to forgive? Such a good question because we can't time our triggers, right? right. It's not like I can say, okay, <laughs> 8 p.m. on Tuesday night, I'm gonna be sitting in my bathtub and I'm gonna be taking private communion and I am you know, going to have the music set and everything's going to be just right. Right. And then bring on a trigger and I'll deal with it. Right. That's not the way it happens. I mean, we get triggered at the most inconvenient times and we don't even see it coming. And somebody will say something or hear something or we could even smell something or we'll pass a place. And it's like, wham, and then all these chaotic, hard feelings come flooding back on top of us. So what I've come to understand is that forgiveness is both a decision and a process. So stick with me here for just a minute. When we make the decision to forgive, we forgive for the facts of what happened. And that's why I say, start with your pain, write down all the things that have caused you pain in your life. And then you have a marked moment where you make the decision, I'm going to forgive this person for this pain that they caused me. And I always add at the end, and whatever my feelings will not yet allow for, the blood of Jesus will surely cover. And the reason I add that is because hurt feelings don't often want to cooperate with holy instructions, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And so... I, I have that marked moment of forgiveness and that's my decision to forgive and no one can ever take that away from me. And that is me being be obedient to God. But forgiveness is not just a decision. It's also a process because when you get triggered, that means that you are reminded of the emotional cost, or maybe you're being made aware of a bigger part of the emotional impact that's happened to you. So we have to forgive for the facts that happen. That's that marked moment in time decision of forgiveness. But we also have to forgive for the impact that this had on us. The emotional cost is what we're getting triggered with, right? So that's when we have to stop and have another marked moment of forgiveness and say, okay, I now need to forgive this person for the anxiety that this has caused me or the fear that this has caused me or the frustration that this has caused me. And that's how we can handle a trigger. I used to be so mad. Like, why does God allow these triggers to leak into our life? It seems so unfair. But I started to realize that it's actually an act of mercy by God because he's allowing the impact of that hurt to leak into our lives in bits over time, because if the full impact would have hit us at the moment when we were hurt, it probably would have killed us. Mm -hmm. And so God allows that impact to leak out through triggers over time so that we can walk through the process of forgiveness and the process of healing. Yeah, that's so good. So, you know, this idea of forgiveness, it's, it's a journey, right? So sometimes the, we want to forgive someone right? But when the kind of the comes to the point where we have to make a decision, do we keep this person in our life or, or do we not? So where do you stand on that? You know, forgiving somebody and maybe them staying in our life or maybe just deciding that they're not supposed to be a part of your life. Such a good question. Such an important question, because while forgiveness is a command by God, reconciliation is very dependent on other things. 
So forgiveness and reconciliation don't always hold hands and, and it should not always hold hands because remember forgiveness is us making the decision that we are not going to carry this hurt, bitter, angry, frustrated feeling down in our hearts. So forgiveness is us allowing our hearts to be swept clean. Reconciliation is very dependent on Number one, is it safe to be reconciled? Number two, is it even possible to be reconciled? Number three, is the other person willing to work on the issues? Number four, will the other person respect the boundaries that you know are required for this relationship to be repaired? And remember, boundaries are not to shove the other person away. Boundaries are so we can hold ourselves together. Boundaries are for us, you know? And so... What I found, it's often the people that need to be boundaried the most that respect boundaries the least. So we have to be careful with that. And oftentimes it's really helpful to get a Christian counselor involved because the reconciliation process can be very tricky and very hard. If you if you had a situation where there was a $5 emotional debt that happened, like it cost you emotionally the equivalent of $5, then that's not nearly as tricky as a $5 million debt where just because you forgive somebody doesn't mean that the trust is automatically rebuilt, nor should it. And just because you forgive somebody, it doesn't mean that those old relational patterns, that dysfunctional dance that you can get pulled into isn't going to still happen. And, you know, if you think about it this way and you guys are in a relationship, so, you know, been married how long? 16 years. Okay. So believe it or not, even though we probably couldn't dig around on that bookshelf behind you, (laughs) the two of you have a relationship contract beyond just the marriage certificate and all of that. You, you have an understanding that the way that the two of you operate, there's a contract of sorts, right? And, um, anytime you change the emotional contract, there is going to be a disruption in the relationship because one person has decided I'm not going to participate in this dysfunction any longer. So maybe you put up a boundary, but the other person, they are not always willing to change that emotional contract, right? Mm -hmm. And so reconciliation is establishing a new dance together where you are both agreeing to no longer participate in the dysfunctional dance, but you're going to find new steps, new ways of relating that are healthy and that will work for the health of both individuals and the couple. That's good. Lisa, so sometimes the hardest person to forgive is ourselves. How do we do that? Do you cover that in the book? Well, you know, this is a really interesting question. I would say when I get asked about forgiveness, this is one of the number one questions that people bring up. And so I actually wrote about it at the very end of the book. I did a Q&A, the most popular questions I get on forgiveness. And I addressed this in the Q&A because I very much understand where this question comes from. Because we have regrets in our life or we have situations in our life that 
have caused us shame or have caused us frustration. And so we have this thought when we feel triggers of shame that it's a sign we can't forgive ourselves. So I get all of that because I've lived all of that. I know what it feels like to carry that inside of me. But here's what's interesting. The Bible actually doesn't talk about us forgiving ourselves. It's, it's always God forgiving us. So sometimes I think when we say like, I'm having a hard time forgiving myself, what we're really saying is I'm having a hard time receiving God's forgiveness. That could be part of it. Or another part is I'm having a really hard time moving forward. That that's another, like, so Paul says, I leave the, the past behind and I strain toward what is ahead. So when you're caught in the cycle of not being able to move past or move forward uh, a situation that can feel like I'm not forgiving ourselves. But here's what I want to say. Two things that have really helped me. Um, I know what this feels like because when I was in my early twenties, I made the very tragic decision to have an abortion. And I thought I was going to die the weight of that shame that sat on me was so heavy and so devastating. And I just remember thinking, I'm never going to be able to forgive myself for this. But what I started to realize is I was having a hard time receiving God's forgiveness for this. So the Bible makes this provision for us to confess to the Lord and when we confess to the Lord what has happened and what we've done, God's forgiveness flows to us. And that process of confession quiets the chaos inside of us, right? Quiets the chaos inside of me. And then as God's forgiveness flows to me, I can allow it to flow through me. And that's when forgiveness then quiets the chaos between you and me, between us, right? So confession quiets the chaos inside of me, and then forgiveness quiets the chaos between you and me, and it all works together. So if we are having a hard time, quote, forgiving ourselves, which really means we're having a hard time letting God's forgiveness flow to us, we will have a doubly hard time letting God's forgiveness flow through us to other people. And the only thing that I ever found that helped me release the teeth of Satan in that biting feeling of shame was when I allowed God to take what I had done and heal me and then use it for good. And it was the first time that I sat across from a young girl and she told me the next day she was going in for an abortion appointment and I did not shame her. I did not blame her. I did not ask even any questions of the details of why she was in the situation. But I just said, can I just share my story? And I so wish somebody would have shared this story with me because I might've made a different decision. Now, I will love you no matter what decision you make, but let me just share my story. And I allowed God to take this situation inside of my life that I didn't think I would ever share it ever, ever, ever with another person. But when I shared the story and I saw tears just coming down her eyes. I watched God use that for good and it released those shackles of shame for me 
because I could see God really can take this. Do I wish I could have made a different decision? A hundred percent. But have I seen God take and replace my shame with this light of beauty that can help other people? I have, and it has been so good. But I love that you asked this question because it all works together. You know, this is forgiveness. God's forgiveness flowing to us, and then we let it flow through us. But if we can't possibly, like if, if we feel like we can't receive God's forgiveness, we'll never be able to truly give forgiveness. And so it all works together. That's so good. Well, it's so good. Well, we're getting ready to wrap. Thank you so much for sharing your, again, your story, this book that you've create that you written. I know people are going to go get it. Everybody, if you're listening right now, go get this book <laughs> right now. Go get it for somebody in your life. Everybody needs to hear this message. But before we do, we wrap every single episode with these three questions, and it goes like this. What's The uh, first question is, what's a book that's impacted your life? Oh, wow. So many books have impacted my life greatly. I would say recently... The book that I I wish everyone would get is, um, and I want to get the title right, but I think it's called The Story of Three Kings. Um, and it is really, really amazing. It's about um, Saul, David, and Solomon. Have you guys read it? The Tale of, the Three, tale Kings. of Three Kings. Yeah. yeah. I have it somewhere. Yeah. It's, yeah. A, it's so about good. a every year. You need to read that about every year. <laughs> I do read. for sure. Yeah. Well, it's so good. Yeah, that's yeah. a great one. I love that. Um, the second question is, what's a habit that's changed your life? A habit that's changed my life is getting outside every single day and looking up in the sky and reminding myself the sky is not falling. No matter what <laughs> I face today, no matter what I face today, it may feel like my world is imploding inside my four walls. If I face something hard or, you know, even if you get like an ugly email, it can just oh, feel yeah. like, you know. Yeah. And so I think it's so healthy. Get outside. Look up. Remind yourself God is still good at being God. The sky is not falling. And drink four ounces of water, four ounces of water while you're doing that. It's scientifically proven drinking four ounces of water will reduce your anxiety level. Nice. Done. Awesome. Go get some more water. Uh, all right, last one. What advice would you give to the younger Lisa? Ooh, the younger <laughs> Lisa. I would say when you walk through something hard, don't run ahead of God and try to figure out the good that God should surely do. And then hold God accountable to that good. Our God is really big and he is able to take you on a journey and your journey is just to be obedient to god every day god's job is everything else so good all right well where can people find you follow you all those good things well on instagram you can follow me at lisa turkhurst which i know my name is all kinds of complicated so <laughs> if you just go at lysa so not lisa but lysa and a t Hopefully it'll pop up. So that'll be good. Or if you want more information about the book, it's forgivingwhatyoucantforget.com. Awesome. We will link to all of that in the show notes. We'll spell your name correctly for everyone who's interested. But thank you so much for being here with us today. Thank you, guys. You're the best. Well, thanks again for coming and hanging out with us today here at the Live It Well podcast. And as always, we hope this episode encouraged you as much as it has us. 
As always, we'll have all the links mentioned in today's episode over in our show notes at our website, letsliveitwell.com. And we would love to hear from you. You can find us and follow us on all the social platforms, Facebook, Instagram. We would love to hear what's going on in your life and stay up to date with all things at Live It Well. All right, guys. Well, that's a wrap for this episode. We're going to close it out like we do every single week. It's great to be back for a season and it's great to be saying this again. So let's all say it together. Remember, you only get one life. Live Live it it well. well.